you're listening to the North Richland Hills Baptist Church Sermon Audio Podcast. If you'd like more information about our church, go to nrhbc.org. If you found yourself in prison, locked up for something you did not do, how would you react? If you found yourself locked up in prison for something you didn't do, what do you think your reaction might be? I find it intriguing that some of the most notorious villains have tried to break out of prison. Take John Dillinger. Housed in a local jail in Crown Point, Indiana, he fashioned a would-be gun out of wood and took shoe polish and made it black. He was successful in his jail escape, and he was audacious in that he took the sheriff's own brand-new Buick after he escaped and made his way out of Crown Point, Indiana. I think of Frank Lee Morris, played by, I believe, Clint Eastwood. It was Morris, along with John and Clarence Anglin, who escaped from Alcatraz, the rock. What they did was, really ingenious, fabricated human heads. They did so from toilet paper, hair, and soap. They took what was the would-be fake human head, put it in the bed for the night shift and the prison guards to come by and think they were safely tucked in their bed. FBI investigation said they could not find where these three were and that they think that they may have drowned in the water surrounding Alcatraz. They were never heard from again. And then there's Frank Abagnale. Frank Abagnale, I like his the most. He convinced the prison guards at the Federal Detention Center Atlanta that he was an undercover prison inspector posing as an inmate. That's pretty good, isn't it? Well, they didn't find out that he really was a prisoner until later, and his fake alibi was successful, and those prison guards never saw him again. All five of these men escaped prison. All five of them, as far as we know, were guilty of their crimes. I wonder, would you try to escape? What would you do if you were locked behind bars for something you didn't do? Our letter today comes from someone not who's in a pastor's office, not who's writing from home, one who's writing from behind prison bars, and he himself did nothing wrong. He did nothing other than spread the gospel. Now, Paul, our author and our prisoner, knows about prison. In fact, before he met the Lord Jesus Christ, he locked people up who were Christians, people of the way. He went around with arrest papers. And then as he came to faith in Christ, he spent much of his life behind prison bars. Again, he wasn't a felon. All that he did was try to share the gospel. I'm reminded of a press report this past week that I read, and my heart goes out to them. It's a Christian couple in Pakistan. They were locked up for seven years. They rotted in jail for seven years for the charge of blasphemy. In a largely Muslim country where religious freedom is not there, hearsay is entered into courts and judges will not push back and not do due process, rotting away for seven years because of your allegiance to the Messiah, Jesus Christ. These Pakistani couple would know Paul. And we get this letter from him. Now, there's a lot of letters you may have gotten. You may have got a letter from your grandparents. You may have got a letter from the state, from your school. But when you get a letter from prison, it means something. I think of the letter from the Birmingham jail where Martin Luther King Jr., that famous letter he wrote years ago. I'll let you search for that later this afternoon if you don't know what that is. 
You see, if you get a letter from a pastor like me, and you get those coming from a nice air-conditioned office, you know, hopefully every T is crossed, every, you, okay. But you get a letter from a prisoner, there's urgency to it. And he's pointing out something that's powerful. And so from the squalor of a dimly lit cell, Paul writes with urgency, verse 1 of chapter 4, one verse is our focus today. I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling in which you have been called. I want to focus on four words in verse 1. I want to call your attention to how to live for Christ in turbulent days by putting your attention on four words in just this one verse because God is going to do something powerful if we listen carefully to this letter from prison. First, I want you to pay attention to the order by paying attention to the word therefore. In verse 1, you're going to see among the second word in English, it is the word therefore. And I want you to pay attention to it. You're apt to run past it. You're apt to not even pay attention. It's just sort of a throwaway word. But it's a hinge. The word therefore, it's a hinge, like a door hinge. It's a connector. Because Paul does something. In all of his letters, he has this practice. He has this sort of habit that he does. And he begins this letter, and he teaches doctrine in the front end, and then he gets to practical on the back end. He'll do it almost all the time. Here in chapter 4, verse 1, this word, therefore, it's the hinge. It's the halfway point. We're coming out of halftime, if you will, the start of the second half or the third quarter, depending on your sport. And we know that because of this hinge point. He does it in 1 Thessalonians 4, 1. He does it in Romans chapter 12, verse 1. But in Ephesians, it's like right in the halfway. And he's telling us here on the back end, he's going to put something powerful, some practical advice. He's going to talk to us about conduct, where he talked to us about creed. He's going to talk to us about practice, where he would talk to us about our position. And this is a powerful thing, and you need to get the sequence. Because if you want to live a life free of turbulence, if you want to live a life of happiness, if you want to live a life that pleases the Lord, you're going to pay attention to this little word, therefore. Therefore points to a lot. It points all the way back to everything he said in chapters 1, 2, and 3. By the way, those who study the New Testament say the first three chapters of Ephesians is the very tip top, the tippy top of the mountain. We have that beautiful words at the end of that prayer, at the end of chapter 3, where he says, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than we ask or think, to him who is working within the power within us, to him be the glory within the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. It's the tippy top of the mountain. Now we move into the foothills. We had the camp experience in chapters 1 through 3. We know a camp experience, right? We got the T-shirt. Now we put it into practice. And this is the sequence. We always need to pay attention to the sequence if we're going to live for Christ because our ancestors will show us the way. John Wesley, who went on to start Methodism, and then you have Martin Luther. Both of these men were ordained ministers who didn't know the Lord Jesus Christ. That happens, by the way. Someone told me the story just this week of a church. A woman had been going there for years, and she couldn't drive herself, and she asked her family, would you take me to another church? After a few months, they said, why did you change churches? And she said, because that pastor doesn't know Jesus Christ. He's not a Christian. That's a great reason to run the pastor off or you to get run off if that doesn't happen, God willing, for here. So Wesley and Luther, these two 
instrumental men in church history, instrumental men in thought and life of all. They had confessed their sin. They had read their Bible. They had given money to the poor. They had started orphanages. Listen to this. They'd witnessed. They'd been in prisons. And by their own admission, neither one of them had known the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, why do I tell you that? Because I don't want you to make the mistake of not paying attention to the order. And here's the order. You've got to know your position before you put it into practice. See, they put their practice first. They were giving money. They were confessing sin. These men even witnessed for the gospel. They were visiting the poor. They were in prison. They were doing all these great things. Everybody was, woo, let's be more like them. But it wasn't until later that they understood the position. What's the position? Chapters 1, 2, and 3, Paul says to believers, you're seated right now. You're seated in the heavenlies. Right now, you're already experiencing the resurrection, he says. You're saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. That's your position. So if you think Christianity is a help-wanted sign, come do all these good things. Friend, you're putting practice before your position. And whenever you do that, it won't work. We know this. Training camp comes before the season. Practice comes before the recital, right? You don't see the trailer on the highway first before the truck. It's always the truck pulling the trailer, right? You take your clothes off before you get in the shower. You don't take your clothes off when you get in the shower. The sequence is important. The order is important. And for you here today, I want you to tell I'm trying to free you from legalism. I'm trying to free you from misery. Put your position in Christ. Know the Lord Jesus. Know that you're loved. Know that you're grace. Know that you're seated in the heavenlies. And then you'll put this into practice. You'll be clothed with humility. You'll have meekness and kindness. And so Paul does this sequence. It's doctrine before doing. It's creed before conduct. It's pre-set before practice. And it's sitting before, Lord have mercy. Am I the only one awake in here? What do you sit before you walk? Good Lord have mercy. Help us, Jesus. Friend, you've got to, look, before you take the final, you've got to study. Before you're in calculus, you need to know your multiplication tables, right? Yeah. And before you walk, you've got to sit. Pay attention first to the order. And we get the order from that little word, therefore. Whenever you see the word, therefore, go back in the Bible and see why it is. Oh, eight people are with me. Praise the Lord. <laughs> Secondly, I want you to notice this word. Not only the word, therefore, but I want you to pay attention to the balance. This word, worthy. Matter of fact, if you're really paying attention, you're awake, you want to meet the Lord Jesus, just go ahead and write in your Bible and circle the word, therefore, circle the word worthy. Now, that word worthy, part of the origin of that word, the origin of that word, is it speaks of the tipping of a balance. Scales, equal worth on both sides. There's someone, Proverbs talks about someone being deceptive, who puts their thumb on the scales, who gets a little extra when they shouldn't. And this word worthy, again, means countering the balance of the scales. Equal weight on both sides. So here, in the word worthy, the Bible, again, let's read the word of God. Verse 1, I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy, read it with me now, worthy of the calling to which you've been called. So he's calling upon this to balance the scales. What are the scales? Well, now that you understand your position, you're seated in the heavenlies, you're graced by the Lord Jesus Christ, you've embraced Christ by faith, you are resurrected. That's the words of Ephesians. He'll tell you if you're in Christ, a genuine Christian, you're already experiencing the resurrection. Now that you know all this, balance your position with your practice. Balance your position with your practice. What does that mean? 
It means, as a believer, to appreciate what God has done for you. To be thankful. Let that sink in. Let that seep down in your mind and down in your heart. Be thankful for what Christ has done for you and live a life honoring your calling. Now that you know that you're greatly loved by God and His grace for your sins, bring your practice to match your position. Now, don't try to earn God's grace. Don't try to earn His favor. Don't do that. But now that you understand that you're forgiven by the Father, make a practice to forgive others. You see what I'm saying? Let me show you. Let me show you this. Dallas City Council, 2019. Acting mayor and city councilman was brought up on charges and convicted for $450,000 of bribes and kickbacks. Another Dallas City Council member within that same time of period was confessed, pled guilty to accepting a bribe to move an affordable housing project through. The citizens of Dallas deserve better than to have individuals like this on the city council. Wouldn't you agree? Our government deserves better. The city council themselves deserve better. Let me take another one. You may know the name Rick Duncan. Rick Duncan has claimed to be the recipient of a Purple Heart and a Silver Star. He claimed to be a captain in the United States Marine Corps. He claimed to have three tours of duty in Iraq. He claimed to be at the Pentagon on 9-11. He claimed to have gone to the Naval Academy in Annapolis, sort of like a Forrest Gump if his lies were true, but he was lying. He was arrested in El Paso, Texas. The FBI did a little investigating because name Rick Duncan is not his name, is an alias. Nothing about this guy. Nothing about this guy is true. He was brought up on charges under what is known as the Stolen Valor Act. The Purple Heart was brought together by our first president, George Washington. And it's a crime to say that you have that, as it should be. You know, veterans deserve better than guys like Rick Duncan. Purple Heart recipients deserve better than people like Rick Duncan. Military people in our nation, they position, they have a, they, they have a calling of a position of higher character. Now, look what Paul's doing here. I'm going to take the glasses off, make sure you get this. I want to see your eyes, all right? Paul, Paul says, if they've got a calling from the United States government to be a city council member, if they've got a calling from the corporals or whomever's up top to be a good soldier, you've got a calling from the Holy Father, from the eternal Son of God and the Holy Spirit. Be worthy of your calling. Don't desecrate. You wouldn't dare desecrate the Purple Heart. Then why are you desecrating your name in Jesus Christ? You're to balance this. You're to position this. You're to know what your calling is, and you're to have this worth to it. So here's the third word we're to pay attention. We're to pay attention to our calling. In verse 1, we need to reread our word. We need to reread it and have it just seep into our mind. Verse 1 of chapter 4 says, I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling for which you've been called. And there's our third word, the word called. Just circle that word, highlight that word. And here's, here's what the word's telling us. Because of the calling of your life is great as a believer. Not an individual, not a calling like a profession, but as your call in Christ Jesus. You're to live a life worthy of your great calling. Your Christian calling is much greater than being a part of the Dallas city government. Your Christian calling is much greater 
than being called to be a recipient of the Purple Heart or Silver Star. So bring honor to your calling. If you are a teenage believer, if you're a child believer and you take the name of Jesus Christ, you're taking on a great name. This is your calling. Paul would write in verse 18 of chapter 1, these words, speaking of calling, you are to have the eyes of your heart. We're to pray, enlightened so that you may know what is the hope to which he's called you. What are his riches of his glorious inheritance of the saints? My believing friends, know your calling and feel the full worth of the grace of God. A professor of mine, huge influence, now part of this church, he told a group of us, we're in seminary, he said, this denomination, Southern Baptists, have invested a lot of money in you. About three of every four dollars was paid by churches like you. Now, he said, don't go mess it up. Now, go out there for 40 or 50 years and serve churches. Give them a return on their investment. You're not trying to earn God's favor, but he's put so much in you. He put the blood of Jesus Christ to get you out of your sins. This is your calling. So Paul says, I, a prisoner of the Lord Jesus Christ, urge you to walk in a manner worthy, that word worthy of your calling. For in the purpose and privilege of your calling as a Christian is so much greater than the Purple Heart. And I'm the son of a Vietnam soldier. I know that's a big deal. But your purpose and calling is so much bigger than that. The privilege and purpose of your calling in Jesus Christ is greater than the calling of a city government or city council or men in uniform or even those who in 1600 Pennsylvania as president. The city council position may last a few decades. Your calling in Jesus Christ lasts eternity. You may enjoy being the recipient of a purple heart for decades. Your calling as a Jesus Christ born again disciple lasts for eternity. The calling of a soldier is important, but it comes from the government. Your calling is coming from other than God the Father. The calling of a city council member, whatever your government official, we're grateful for you, but that's coming from the United States government. Your calling as a believer is coming from Jesus Christ, the Savior, and the Holy Spirit. And so we have this calling. And may I just speak to you as I would my kids? A lot of times we live for excuses. Excuses don't do nothing. Excuses don't mow the yard. Excuses do not graduate. Excuses do not clean a house. Excuses do not advance to the next grade. Excuses don't do anything. Excuses leave me at home on Sunday and worshiping. Excuses do not witness to other people. Excuses do not sing. If we live to our excuses, I'm born this way. I was born fat. I was born gay. Whatever born you are. Friend, you have a higher calling than this. Get out of your sin. Get out of excuses and rise up to your calling. God and his voice is speaking over you. You're called to this, the Bible says. So some of you here today say, Pastor, I've messed up. Well, look around. There's a whole body of people who have. You're in great company. They dress up well on Sundays, but I know I'm, I'm reading their mail. I know what they're doing. And so I'm here today to tell you, you may have had your first hit on a marijuana joint today, and it's not too late to turn around and repent right now. You may have gotten drunk this weekend for the first time, and I'm telling you, God has sent me to tell you that you can turn around right now. You can be restored in the name of Jesus Christ. You may think you're a different gender. You may think you're going some other direction. You may be laying down as a married person with someone you're not married with. Today, you can repent of your sin, be restored. It's not too late to turn around right now. God's voice is telling you as a believer, that is enough. You need to stop and turn around. You said, this isn't fair, this isn't right. Every command of God, every command of God is a boundary to push you into happiness. 
You want to be happy? Follow the Lord Jesus Christ. And you're to, look at these words, to feel the worth of your calling. So take great pains. He's invested a lot in you if you know the Lord Jesus Christ. He sent his son to Bethlehem out of eternity's portico, right down into Calvary to be crucified for you. The Holy Spirit's been inside you. He's been depositing you. Jesus Christ is praying for you. The Spirit of God's praying for you. You've got a body of believers who are encouraging you. Live out the worth of your calling. Balance that out. Feel the investment that he's doing. And then the last word in verse 1. Not only pay attention to the order in your calling, but pay attention to your walk. Hear again the word of the Lord. I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. That little word walk is all over the book of Ephesians. That little word walk is over the book of Ephesians numerous times. It's not just Ephesians. John the Apostle, you might know him At the Last Supper, he had his head leaning against Jesus Christ himself. John says these words, whoever says he continues in Jesus Christ, meaning if you say that you're a believer, he ought to walk in the same way in which Jesus walked. God is calling you to look carefully at your lifestyle. And if you are a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, you're to look like someone who follows Jesus. Jesus said, I am the light in the darkness. If you are a believer, a genuine believer, some of his light ought to be in you. Some of his light ought to be in you. And what do I mean by that? I'm telling you there should be an attraction to your life. Other people should come alongside you and say, you know, I don't, I don't understand how you have the wherewithal to deal with what you're dealing with, the criticism, the hurt, the pain, the suffering. How do you deal with that, the cancer? What's going on? I sat down with a young man several weeks ago, had lunch with him, and I really enjoyed it. And he had all kinds of questions about the Bible. He'd been raised atheist. And so he struggled with the miracles and the supernatural. And we got on that talking snake in Genesis chapter 3. And I said, man, I get it. I said, I guess if I were an atheist, I'd have trouble with a snake that talked. But I believe that this one guy was dead for three days and raised again. So I can pretty well take everything else that comes along out of the Bible. And so this is what he said about a member of our church. He pointed to him. The gentleman was right there with me. He said... I don't believe like you guys do, but I want what he has. He'd been watching this guy for a long time, a neighbor to his mother. See, when you are a believer in Jesus Christ, the Spirit of God's in you, and you have a stability. You have a ballast to you. It's just supernatural. Jesus said, I'm the light of the world. Is some of his light in you? Are people attracted to Jesus Christ? The Bible calls upon us who are believers in this, we're to walk with Christ. It's not just to be a Sunday morning religion, it's to be Monday through Saturday and on into Sunday. In fact, chapter 4, verse 17, he uses that very same word walk. Paul says, now I say this and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. That is, you're to feel the worth of the investment God has put in you. Racism is to be gone. Prejudice is to be gone. Coveting and lusting is to be gone. All this mess of your former life, get rid of that. You say, Pastor, it's seeping back in. I can't seal the door. I get it. We all sin, but God has called us who are great sinners to a great Savior and a great grace to be great repenters. There's not enough repenting going on in America. There's not enough repenting going on in this church. There's not enough repenting going on in my life. Until I get to meet Jesus Christ, Scott Mays will always need to repent 
Is there something about your life, the beauty that's in Jesus, that comes off in you? There's not going to be all the beauty of Jesus. You're not Jesus. You're not God, no matter what your wife or your husband says about you. The light of Jesus ought to be in every one of his followers. There ought to be a beauty and attraction to it. So I close it this way. Excuses don't do anything. Excuses don't build anything. Excuses don't turn in homework. Excuses don't graduate. Excuses do not witness. They don't worship. Excuses don't teach, don't lead, don't serve. Quit your excuses. Live a life worthy of Jesus Christ. And hear your heavenly Father say over you, he's begging you as a believer in Jesus. He wants to say over you one day, come home, my servant. Well done, my good and faithful servant. See Paul, don't see your pastor, see Paul who's locked up in chains from a dimly lit squalor of a prison cell. He's not writing for his freedom, he's writing so that you'd honor the Lord in these turbulent times. Thanks for listening to the North Richland Hills Baptist Church Sermon Audio Podcast. If you'd like more information about our church, go to nrhbc.org.